Welcome to the show, you guys. Last week, you heard me touch on something that was relatively new to me, and that was this idea of ESG. And today, Kevin Stockland is on the show with me. He's a business reporter, a film producer, and a former Wall Street banker. He has written and produced a new documentary called The Shadow State, which is an original documentary by the Epoch Times investigating ESG. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Thank you guys for tuning in. As we head into the weekend, I want to remind you that we are in the process of taking your questions for the next episode of Mailbox Monday, and we appreciate you guys writing in. If you'd like to have your question aired on the show, you can go to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. All right, you guys know how important uh, it is to me to be sort of talking about current events here. We talked about the shadow state. Uh, last time we had Rod Dreher on the show, we were talking about the importance of understanding Marxism. Last week, we talked about cultural Marxism and this push that's happening in the culture by this woke ideology that has really infected our schools and our universities. Well, Kevin is here to talk about ESG today. He is an expert in this area. He's been writing breaking news and stories at the Epoch Times for years, and I am thrilled to have him here. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Heidi, thank you for having me on. I'm glad that you're here. I want to jump right into this because most of my listeners, this was a relatively new term to them when I introduced it a couple of weeks ago, as it is to me. ESG, otherwise known as environmental, social, and corporate governance. Can you explain to uh, listeners today exactly what this is? Because for most of us, I think we're learning from, you know, every every time we turn around, the alphabet mafia has a new uh, as a new terminology for us. And I think this is a pretty new one. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is just another acronym. Um, but what it stands for, it's an umbrella um, ideology. It's both an ideology and an industry. But as an ideology, it stands for uh, environmental, has to do with um, climate change, basically. Uh, the social component is, is really social justice. It's critical race theory. Um, it's um, things like racial equity and things like that. And then governance speaks to how corporations are run, and that may take the form of quotas, hiring quotas or boards on uh, quotas on boards and things like this. So so that's and then for good measure, they throw in things like gun control and, and abortion uh, rights, et cetera. So it, it really is kind of a catch all for a number of progressive ideologies thrown into one basket. But it's also an industry. It has uh, tens of trillions of dollars of money supporting it. And um you know, some people think, well, it's an industry. They must be making iPhones or cars or something. In fact, no, this is our money. This is our retirement money, our savings money that goes into 401ks or pension funds. And it's been being used by a, a small number of activist asset managers to control the corporations whose shares they own uh, through, through our money to arm twist them into going along with this ideology. It's crazy. And we hear a lot, you know, right now about the woke agenda. It's everywhere. Finally, you know, people are talking about it. How is ESG responsible for the agenda that everyone's talking about right now? Yeah. So, um, you know, it basically, if you look at, uh, for example, let's say you put your money into a, um, in a, an index fund and that money would probably be managed by one of three asset managers. And that would be BlackRock, Vanguard and State Street. Together, they control um, nearly $20 trillion of assets. Um, and they will go out and they will buy all of these companies that are in the S&P 500. They'll buy Exxon and Apple and, and Ford and GM and all these companies. They own the shares in those companies. So we would buy shares in their funds. 
they own the shares in the companies and they have the voting rights that go along with that. So they are able to sit on corporate boards. Uh, there's a case in point with Exxon. They were able to force Exxon to put on three uh, green activists onto their board to encourage Exxon to shift out of fossil fuels into clean energy. And, and obviously this is a company that doesn't do clean energy. They have no advantage there. We don't uh, have any of these minerals in the US. We have fossil fuels. So this is an example, but we see a lot of other examples of ESG at work. So for example, we see Disney um, following the ESG ideology. They are fighting parents' rights laws in Florida that don't want to teach sex ed between uh, grades kindergarten and third grade. Disney thinks that's a great idea, so they fought that law. Uh, we see them sexualizing content. We see them adding critical race theory into their content uh, through a new show called The Proud Family. We see United Airlines setting racial and gender quotas on the hiring of new pilots. They say half of the new pilots they hire will be minorities or women. We see uh, companies like Coca-Cola fighting uh, Coca-Cola, Major League Baseball, and Delta Airlines fighting voter ID laws in Georgia, which the overwhelming uh, majority of people across all racial groups support. Um, and then we see companies like uh, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs um, refusing to lend to oil discovery in the Arctic. So none of this has anything to do with corporate profitability or, or shareholder value. It has everything to do with boosting their ESG scores. Well, wait, you're going to have to forgive me if this lay, this lay person, this homeschool mother of seven who's interviewing you right now, because you're talking to me, my head's exploding because I'm thinking, hey, it's just one more thing that we now have to be worried about. And I'm, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around who created ESG in the first place. So uh, I'm imagining that the the average person listening to this is a lot like me going, what in the world? You know, where did ESG come from? And I'm assuming it has, I mean, everything you're talking to me about tells me it's also probably deeply connected with the World Economic Forum as well, correct? Yes, uh, that is correct. And it actually has its origins in the UN, uh, going back about uh, two Naturally. decades, 2003 to 2005. The UN had their sustainable development goals, and they they tried to figure out, well, how are we going to implement these goals? They can do it through politics. They can pass laws, and they're working on that. They do it through education. So we see social emotional learning that is basically to educate children on these sustainable development goals. But the third piece of it was, well, let's get the private sector on board too, right? Because in a country like the US, um, economic power is distributed. We have various people that own you know, private property. And so you can't have political power concentrated if you have economic power dispersed this way. So their idea was, let's get the private sector on board. And so ESG, was the ideology that they said we're going to get the private sector in align in alignment with the UN sustainable development goals by uh, these principles of responsible investment that they call ESG. And they pushed it through the World Economic Forum. Um, they got a number of very key asset managers on board. As I mentioned, Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street, they all signed pledges to support these, uh, this program. You also have very activist uh, state pension funds in California, CalPERS, CalSTRS, New York State Pension Fund, New York um, City Pension Fund. And you add all these up, they then are uh, the largest shareholders in 90% of the S&P 500 companies. So when they want to push an agenda, whether it's environmental, whether it's social justice or whatever, they have the ear of CEOs and by and large, They've been getting uh, corporations to get on board. 
And you're saying that the money that we're putting into our 401ks is going directly to fund these guys? Yes. So when it is under the control of these asset managers, it is. And they are not the only ones. Um, quite a lot of asset managers have signed on to this. They're just the biggest ones. But that is what's being done with our money. There's a big fight going on in Congress just this week because uh, President Biden is putting in a new rule that allows um, private pension funds that that money be used for ESG. He's added a component into the requirements that say you can you can invest private pension money into ESG as well. Um, and Congress is fighting back and saying, well, wait a minute, the laws that we have on the books up to this point say that you can only invest pension money for a return for shareholders because people need this money to retire. So the only way that an asset manager up to this point could invest pension money was to maximize the return and, and give create the most money for pensioners to retire on. Uh, now, Biden has added a new component that says, well, ESG can be added as a criteria for investing people's pension money. So again, it's diverting the, the, the purpose of people's savings and, and pension money, which is so they can have a comfortable retirement um, or so, so that they can have income that they critically need. And it's taking it and it's diverting it towards political and social goals. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And another uh, really dangerous aspect of this, it seems to me, from this my sort of high-level view, I don't have the, the knowledge of it that you do, but it seems to me that they're targeting people with conservative viewpoints. Uh, you noted that they had, you've uncovered that they were targeting Moms for Liberty, they targeted the, the Babylon Bee on their social media, and payment services because of their views. How are they able to do that? Well, this is one of the really uh, kind of frightening components of this movement. So. One could say that they go into this with good intentions, that they believe that climate change and racial justice are so critical that we have to override our political system and everything else to, to, to get these goals achieved. But the frightening side of this is that it's created a new collaboration between government and industry because it's aligning pri the private sector now with the government goals. And we're seeing all sorts of frightening collaborations. So when you men mentioned censorship, um, I think most people, most of your viewers will be aware of the scandal that's now come out with Twitter. So Elon Musk bought Twitter. He opened up the files to journalists. They were able to go through the emails and the correspondence, and they see that the FBI and the Department of Justice collaborated with Twitter to censor political speech. That is the most protected speech under our First Amendment is political speech. And we have to assume that probably Google and, and Facebook are, are doing the same thing if Twitter was doing it. But we see other examples of this. So, for example, we're, we're seeing uh, the finance industry being used for surveillance. The uh, federal government is prohibited by law from uh, creating registries of, of firearms purchases. It's also prohibited by the Fourth Amendment for, from unreasonable search and seizure. They can't search your private property without a search warrant and, and evidence of a crime. But the government is able to get corporations to do this for them. So credit card companies now have set up tracking codes for firearms. 
Um, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express have signed on to this. And they are now going to start tracking anybody's purchase at a gun shop. It may be a gun, it may be ammunition, it may be something that's not that, but any purchases made in a gun shop or at a sports shop that have to do with firearms are now going to be tracked and recorded by the credit card companies with the intention of handing this over to the federal government uh, and federal law enforcement. So these are examples of the way that this collaboration is now having the private sector act as kind of enforcers for the federal government, doing things that the federal government is not legally permitted to do, censorship, surveillance, et cetera. Do you expect there to be any sort of legal pushback? I mean, is there any sort of legal recourse for citizens that care about their Second Amendment freedoms and uh, their freedom, you know, their their free speech rights as guaranteed by our Constitution? So there are laws against quite a lot of this. Um, There are antitrust laws that forbid uh, companies from colluding. So to gather in Davos once a year and, and figure out how you're going to take out the fossil fuel industry, that violates U.S. antitrust laws. We have civil rights laws, so you are not allowed, uh, even as a private company, to discriminate on the basis of gender or race or anything along those lines. Um, And we also have, um, now we have actions that are being taken by uh, state attorney generals to bring lawsuits against the Biden administration for this collusion uh, to censor Americans. It's a question, though, not of what laws are on the books or what the Constitution says, because so much of this violates our laws. Yeah. It's a question of who's going to enforce. So we have an attorney general currently that has no interest uh, in, in enforcing these laws. We have a Federal Trade Commission that has no interest in enforcing uh, antitrust. You know, we saw with Parler, um, Google, Amazon, Apple all colluded to, to basically squeeze Parler right out of existence. That's just classic anti-competitive behavior. The Federal Trade Commission exists to protect consumers against that sort of behavior. They weren't particularly interested. So it's a question of what kind of enforcement are we going to get of the laws that are already on the books. So as I said, there there is a lawsuit currently being brought by uh, State Attorney General um, Landry out of Louisiana and Schmidt out of Missouri, and they are bringing a suit against the Biden administration for colluding with Twitter. Um, And they believe that may go all the way up to the Supreme Court. So we'll see how that works itself out. But um, again, it's a question of how willing we are to to stand up for and enforce the laws that exist in this country. I want to get to talking about the documentary that you've created. But before I jump into that, you know, I think ordinary people, I keep saying that because most of us have absolutely no jurisdiction over any of these things. Right. You hear it. You're just like, great. It's just one more thing I need to worry about. Is there anything that uh, regular Americans can do, either with their checkbooks or through uh, the legislative process or whatever, to push back against ESG? There are a lot of things, and I don't want to paint the picture that this is completely uh, bleak and that all hope is lost. That is not the case at all. Um, There are a number of Achilles heels that this movement has, and I'll talk about them. But one, as I said, um, you know, we see we see state attorney generals starting to get active and yeah. uh, demand that U.S. laws get enforced. We are seeing some action in Congress. There's some mumblings, nothing really concrete yet, but there's some mumblings that they may be looking to um, bring some antitrust actions against the World Economic Forum, against some of these groups where uh, these companies collaborate against the fossil fuel or the firearms industry. We are seeing a number of states that ban their their state pensions from being invested according to ESG. Hmm. 
Um, we are seeing a number of states that are now boycotting ESG asset managers and banks that are, are discriminating against certain industries. Texas, Florida, West Virginia are perhaps some of the most active, but a number of other states have gotten on board. Um, so these things are starting to happen and they're, they're starting to happen within the past year. The last thing that I will say um, to give people hope is that this industry is basically a central planning industry. They, they want our economy to be run out of places like the World Economic Forum and run by committee and things like this. Those systems inevitably fail. These are the same, the same ideology that brought us things like collective farming. They create shortages, they create inflation, and that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing shortages of energy, we're seeing shortages of food, we're seeing uh, unaffordable prices for you know, the gas pump and at the grocery store. Um, you know, farmers being squeezed because they, they can't afford diesel fuel or fertilizer. So the system itself is not really sustainable. And I think at some point people are going to get fed up and they're going to start okay. pushing back. Um, and then the last thing I will say, not to, um, not to go too long on this point, but uh, buying habits are also important. So if you uh, are banking with a large Wall Street bank and you don't like the fact that they're woke or their policies, you can start looking at, at smaller community savings and loans, you know, local banks and things like this. Uh, Patriot Mobile is an example of a company that offers cell phone service, and, and they, they are a conservative company. In publishing, there are publishing companies that have now um, Heroes of Liberty uh, and the Tuttle Twins that have stepped up and, and produced you know, more suitable publishing and books for children. So there are alternatives, and uh, I encourage people to um, look at who you're supporting with with your dollars and and make good choices. Man, it's so important. I just did a show the other day about alternatives to Disney. I'm like, you guys, stop taking your kids to these woke, disgusting uh, companies that are making millions off of you trying to entertain your children and then turning that around and injuring children with the money that you're giving them. I mean, take your kids to Monticello, take them to Colonial Williamsburg, you know, for goodness sake, take them to the Ark Encounter in Williamstown, uh, Kentucky. There's so many options. I've had the CEO of Public Square uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago. We had the authors of the Tuttle Twins here trying to give parents uh, really good options because there are a lot of them. Let's talk for just a minute about the documentary that you've created, The Shadow State. Uh, what's it about? Well, it is about the ESG industry. It's a kind of a look on the under the hood. Um, it shows how the industry works. It shows who the big players are. Um, it shows a, a lot of ways that it's affecting our lives. And then we also show uh, what's being done to push back against it. And you know, finance is it can be very arcane, uh, and a lot of people don't necessarily understand the, the lingo or the or, or the terms or how it works. So I, I made this documentary to make it very intelligible, so that people could sit down for an hour. And they could understand how the system works and, and how it's affecting them. Um, but we also look at this kind of dangerous collusion between the government and private industry and how this is really trampling our rights. Um, you know, the genius of our of our political system is that uh, power is dispersed and we have checks and balances and we have separation of powers and we have federalism. And the whole purpose of this ESG industry is to circumvent all of that. Mm -hmm and to kind of rule the economy and, and rule our behavior by committees and, and, and by groups. And we don't have a say, we don't have a vote in anything that these CEOs decide. We don't have a, a voice in, in Davos. We don't get to go to Switzerland and make these decisions. Um, so I wanted to reveal to people uh, kind of what's going on behind the scenes that they may not know about. 
um, but also, you know, to give hope that, um, you know, we can be informed and we can push back. Yeah, it's so important. And I know that what you're doing is going to be shining a light. That's the first step in so much of this is just helping the American people understand the the globalist agenda. We've talked a lot about it here at the show over the years, but it's encouraging to me to see people like you stepping up and shining a bright light on this because you're right. It's not going to last forever, but boy, it's painful in the process. So where can people go to find the documentary? Um, you can go to theshadowstate.com. And it's also free to all um, Epoch Times subscribers, so the epochtimes.com. All right. So that's theshadowstate.com. If you guys are subscribers to the Epoch Times, like Heidi St. John, then you just heard that that's free for you. So go check that out at the Epoch Times, or you can visit it directly at theshadowstate.com. Kevin, I've got so many more questions I'd love to ask you. I want to spend a little bit of time in the next episode talking a little bit more in detail about how Americans are starting to push back against this. So I hope you'll come back tomorrow and we'll pick it up where we left off. Great, thank you. You guys, for more information on this incredible documentary, visit theshadowstate.com and check it out. It's very important that we get uh, educated about this, that we understand what's happening so that we can pick it out and pick it apart when we see it. Check it out again at theshadowstate.com. Thanks for listening today, everybody. I'll see you back here tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture.